The Jewish Views on The Jewish News is 30 under 30. As a reception is held in their honor, we meet number one on the list. Aaron Simmons. We find out more about the Jewish Comedian of the Year for 2017. And outgoing chief executive of Jewish Care, Simon Morris, tells us his hopes for the charity's future. But first, with a roundup of the Jewish news this week, I'm Vivian Krieger. In New York, thousands of people took part in the funeral procession of a mother and her three children who were killed in a house fire in Brooklyn, which the authorities believe could have been caused by a Hanukkah menorah. Five other members of the family were injured, three of them critically, in the blaze. The tragedy happened just as Greater Manchester Fire and Rescue Service here in the UK urged people celebrating the eight-day festival not to leave lit candles unattended. Manchester crews put out two fires which they say were started by menorah candles. In Canada, autopsies have revealed that the billionaire philanthropist Barry Sherman and his wife Honey were strangled and the case has been passed to homicide detectives. Initially, police in Toronto thought that the deaths were possibly a murder-suicide, but the family had condemned that in a statement, saying that the couple, who were in their 70s, shared an enthusiasm for life and a commitment to their family. Mr Sherman's fortune was estimated to be almost two and a half billion pounds. Jewish leaders have praised the BBC for revealing plans to increase non-Christian religious coverage generally and to inject religious themes into mainstream TV and radio to better reflect British society. In addition, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu and Sikh Holy Days will be mentioned on popular programmes, such as Chris Evans' Radio 2 Breakfast Show. The Chief Rabbi, Ephraim Mervis, welcomed the move. The online retail giant Amazon has removed an infant circumcision training kit from its UK website. It followed complaints from secularist campaigners who feared it could cause serious harm. It had been listed for sale between £365 and £456. Medical experts were concerned that the product could encourage unqualified practitioners to carry out surgery on infants in non-clinical conditions. And finally... In Poland, the first kosher hotel to open in the city of Krakow since the Holocaust will have an official launch this week. Hotel Pauline has an in-house synagogue and lifts that are programmed for use on Shabbat. Its kitchen is under the supervision of the Polish chief rabbi. A non-Jewish local businessman invested more than £400,000 to build it. That's the news. Here's Andrew with the sport. Thank you, Viv. Israel's International Olympic Committee member Alex Gilardi will remain the vice chair of the Tokyo 2020 Coordination Committee despite being accused of sexual harassment. In Tokyo, along with the rest of the commission, Gilardi has strenuously denied the accusations, with chair John Coates saying there was no reason for him to sit out the trip. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said Iran forcing a wrestler to lose a bout in order to avoid competing against an Israeli perfectly summed up their hostility to the Jewish state. Appearing on a video on his Facebook page, he also called on Iranian people to use social media to foster coexistence. And finally, Israeli NBA star Omri Kasbi lit up the courts last week, both on and off it. Starring in his side Golden State Warriors win over the Dallas Mavericks, he then went back on the court to light a giant menorah. 
Don't forget, you can keep up to date with all the latest Jewish sports at jewishnews.co.uk. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Hello there and welcome to this episode of The Jewish Views. I'm Phil Dave. Let's start off as we usually do with a look through your copy of The Jewish News for this week. Joining me to go through it is news editor Justin Cohen and editor Richard Ferrer. Welcome to you both. And the front page reads very simply, Our Movers and Shapers. The culmination of our 30 under 30 and 18 under 18 initiative that we underwent this year. We celebrate people under those two age groups who are shaping the community, who are going to drive it forward, who are going to be the leaders of the community in the decades to come. The culmination of it was a reception at JW3 earlier this week. You might hear in my voice, by the way, I'm a little bit unwell. I've had a bit of a a throat infection this week. They they breathe them stern and tough in Finchley, though, so I'm just soldiering on. Um, (laughs) You're doing well. You're doing well. If there was a 47 under 47, I'm I'm sure I would appear. Um, (laughs) So So we celebrated them. We got a lot of them down at JW3. There was some speeches and some some wine and some snacks. And Laura Janet Klausner, the the leader of the progressive movement, spoke very eloquently about leadership and instilling that in in the new generation. I know you're speaking to somebody who topped our 30 list, Arie Miller, who leads the ZF later on in the show. So the Jewish community is obviously full of these people and and a lot of them I think are extraordinary role models and people that people can can aim to emulate and potential is a particularly exciting thing to celebrate I think this list certainly celebrates potential and Justin at the Jewish News we do love a good list and this is a very good list isn't it it's it's a very strong list of of, of incredible people who are not only shaping the future of, of the Jewish community but are making waves in areas such as the, the rabbinate such as politics and the media, some really impressive people in that room. And we, as Richard said, we, we held this in partnership with the Jewish Leadership Council and, as with many of our other lists, was chaired by Andrew Gilbert, uh, who many people will have known from, from, from UJA and from Limud. I have to pay tribute to him, really, for his efforts on this. The, the attention to detail that he gives these things, the, the commitment that he shows is really quite something to behold. We held the event at JW3 and Raymond Simonson, who's a very familiar voice to this program, chief executive of JW3, often talks about how that centre is is there to increase the quality and volume of Jewish conversation. There's no doubt that the people on our list do exactly that. Well... Absolutely they do. And of course, if you want to remind yourself of it, if you pick up a copy of the paper this week, you will see some lovely faces staring you back on the front page. And as Richard's already pointed out, we'll find out more about this a little later on from the top of that 30 list, Arie Miller. Anyway, some of the other stories making the paper this week. The BBC has announced a commitment to up its religious content. Yeah, this was announced only in the last couple of days. It's a commitment for 2018. The BBC want to make minorities feel part of the fabric of British life, part and parcel of what it is to be British identity. So they've announced that they're going to be increasing coverage of all non-Christian faiths, Judaism obviously included. That means not just a standard Rosh Hashanah programme and a Pesach programme, but more coverage throughout the year. Now, obviously, there's been quite a lot of Jewish-themed TV shows 
over the course of, uh, well, certainly recent years. Have I'm, you ever been involved with any, Richard? I never got a second series, but thanks for mentioning it. There was a programme called, I can't even remember what it was called Jewish now. Jewish Mum of the Year. Jewish Mum of the Year, there you go. <laughs> yeah, the, unfortunately, the BAFTA board overlooked me uh, oh. on, on that particular occasion. But garlands and, 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 and high praise was obviously uh, bestowed upon me back in the day. Yeah, where's my second series, Channel 4? So hopefully this could be a harbinger for that second series. You never know. But I'm sure it will also mean a, a lot more sober, reflective and erudite, shall we say, programming in addition to that sort of knockabout telly, telly show. And it's a curious trend, actually, Justin, because it's one that other channels have been trying to tackle for some time now. It's not just the BBC who's potentially upping their game, because if you look at some of the major soap operas, for quite a few years now, they have been introducing other non-Christian religious elements to their programmes. So that is obviously something that society somewhere along the lines demands. Yeah, I think we often hear from people involved in television that there's a great fascination with with everything Jewish. I think the, the question mark is, is, is how it gets received within the Jewish community and how our own community feel about being portrayed. Because in the case of Jewish Mum of the Year, if I could mention that again, I think people were often finding themselves cringing at it. They didn't like portrayal as anything but you know the the serious festival following shabbat keeping kosher observing jews being portrayed and people like the chief rabbi people always are very proud and and, and delighted to, to see him but perhaps when we see jews in outside that environment in their everyday lives they are like other people and i don't think necessarily the community is always entirely comfortable with that well i i found it shocking of their portrayal of a jewish news editor i'm sure that was the first time we met phil you know when you interviewed me about that was it actually yeah yeah you dragged me on a a previous incarnation of this program many years ago and we had a chat about that and now look at us i know who would have realized ever since (laughs) but on on a serious matter i think tv does have a very very big role to play there was a channel four series about british muslim life a couple of months ago and that really did break down boundaries made people get a sense that minorities might be minorities but they are just the same as as everybody else deep down you know they, they work they raise families they educate they want to put food on the table they're good neighbors and ignorance comes from ignorance it comes from not knowing what's going on over the over the fence into your next door neighbor's front room and things like this hopefully will demystify it certainly does look as if it is a step in the right direction on that front Okay, let's have a look at another story. Nine potential new cases pertaining to the Nazi era. This is Germany saying that they're going to investigate this now. Now, of course, on the face of it, you'd want people that have uh, escaped justice for nigh on seven, eight decades to finally, in their final years of, of, of frailty, finally face that justice they've evaded for so long. But of course, this is a very difficult subject. Where is the justice? They've evaded an escape justice to this point. So perhaps there is no more justice. And it's just simply a case of moving on and learning the lessons from history. Nine new cases all in one go and announced by Germany and Austria this week. They're seeking against uh, former Nazi concentration camp guards. These are people like Oscar Groening previously. These are nine new names that I'm not particularly familiar with. Now, where is the justice and where's the edifying sight of seeing elderly men who made these terrible crimes or were part of these terrible acts in their prime? That's when they should have been tried. That's when they should have faced justice. And now they're doing it in the, in the last 
days and months of their life. It's an important spectacle, I think, for people to see justice being done. It's a lesson that new generations can learn. And it's a way to talk about these crimes and talk about history. So in that context, it's probably a good thing. But in terms of justice, I mean, that's that's long gone. It, the problem is, of course, with retrospective trials is that people do say, well, it's better late than never. But then on the other hand, they say, well, hang on a second. Why now? What's the relevance now? And the relevance is that we've moved on from an era when actually all they were doing was following orders. Now, whether or not those orders were abhorrent or not is frankly neither here nor there because that's what they were doing. And for us to start sort of seeing them brought to trial now when we are in totally a different age, there is a very valid argument to say that what's the point now? Because as you say, they're old, they're frail, and have they really got that much longer left anyway that they are going to appreciate the errors of their ways all those years ago? I think you can equally argue that uh, this day and age that there's more of a reason than ever. Uh, when, when you see the level of Holocaust denial on, on the internet, on social media, and even among world figures, as we've seen in recent years, I think you know there's, there's clearly a reason to be to re- be remembering these and, and bringing people to justice more than ever. Because if there's even an ounce of Holocaust denial whilst survivors are still living, then then what about afterwards? Well, I'm sure that we will see how it unfolds in the coming months. Now, just finally, Justin, you've been reaching new heights. Thank you, Phil. That's very kind of you. Yes, I had the opportunity this week to light the Golders Green menorah with Svivos Hashem, something I've done for the last few years. It was just one of so many events that have taken place over the last eight days that have really showcased the vibrancy of the community. And you can see a a whole collection of pictures in a double-page spread in this week's paper. One thing that did stand out, though, that made this year different is that If you remember a few weeks ago, we carried a front page story about the Mitzvah Day project involving Muslims from the community centre that's just being created in Golders Green. It generated a mixed response, it has to be said, but uh, when I came off the cherry picker from a 30-feet journey this week, I was actually harangued by a gentleman uh, from the local area who who said that I'm a disgrace to the Jewish community based on that front page, and he was carrying around the front page, and that that my presence was an affront to the spirit of Hanukkah. He was taking the the newspaper around to show all the people that were in the area, and I I just... uh, I have to say that that was one of the proudest front pages I think we've we've run this year and I think we we both stand by it very strongly. Well, there you go. You heard it on this programme. Thank you both very much indeed. That's all we've got time for for a look at the paper for this week. Don't forget you can pick up your copy of The Jewish News every Thursday across London or you can read the e-paper online at jewishnews.co.uk. Now, as you heard a little earlier on, a reception was held for the 30 under 30 and the 18 under 18s earlier this week. And to further celebrate that list of successful individuals in and amongst our community, I have been speaking to the person who made position number one on 30 under 30, Arie Miller from the Zionist Federation. I've been finding out a little more about what made his career so extraordinary thus far. I started by asking him to tell us how he first started working within the Jewish community? I think I always grew up in the community. My first Limud conference was when I was six weeks old. You remember it well, I see. I remember it very well. I went to everyone since then. I mean, I grew up going to shul, going to kind of Jewish life was my childhood and my young adulthood. And then I spent my gap year in Israel with RSY Netzer and that was a kind of really formative 
experience in terms of my community involvement and engagement and seeing first-hand communal organisations, how they interact with people and what I loved about it and what I wanted to change about it. And then at university, I got very involved with a number of organisations, including, of course, UJS and my JSOC from the campaign side. And I went to NUS conference a few times, which was certainly an experience. Yeah, we won't need to dwell on that, I don't <laughs> think. So. And then when I left university, I kind of had a decision to make what I wanted to do. Did I want to go into, uh, my course was a kind of performing arts management did I want to pursue that as a career or did I want to pursue a kind of career in the Jewish community and I decided I wanted to pursue it in the Jewish community because it was something I was passionate about something I cared about something I wanted to make a difference to and something I wanted to have an impact on. So by the sound of it it's always been a part of the fabric of your being it's been woven within you from the word go almost. Absolutely absolutely. What would you say that you get out of it because a lot of people say when they work for community organisations that they get a real sense of something or other out of it what do you say yours is I think there's a lot of different things that I get out of it I think for me the Jewish community isn't about what just what I do professionally it's also lots of volunteering that I do within the community and although this is now going to be broadcast so it doesn't really work but I always say I'd rather no one told my kind of employers my chairman this but I've always been fortunate enough to do be paid to do things that I would probably do for free from working when I first started working uh, in the community at CST and really engaging across the community and for me the most exciting thing at that stage was that I got to I spent one day I was doing pre-summer camp training for the Madrachim, the leaders on summer camps and in one day I went from the Lubavitch training in the Lubavitch summer camp and training their leaders and in the afternoon I spent the afternoon with LJY Nets so the Liberal Jewish Youth Movement training their leaders and to be able to work for an organisation that I could do both of those in one day was something really special. From there working at the Israeli Embassy and engaging with Israelis and Israeli life and doing that here in the UK was something equally as uh, exciting in a very different way and now here I get to kind of have a contribution to Israel have a contribution to the Jewish community in the UK and trying to make a difference for what I want to see. Well here being the Zionist Federation of which we are at at the moment and you are the executive director so what does that entail what do you actually do for ZF? Try to keep the organisation going. I think, for me, the ZF is really special. We're a very small organisation. Which some people forget, actually, don't they? Absolutely, absolutely. We certainly punch above our weight, both in terms of what we're able to do and the impact that we're able to have. And I would love to be able to say that it's all because of everything that I'm doing. But the team here are incredible. I inherited a fantastic, a fantastically passionate team at the ZF. And it really is a team, more than a team, it's a family. And to be able to be part of that kind of steering it slightly but being able to sit back and watch the amazing things happen from everyone here I don't think there's anything that we've done at the ZF since I started and I'm sure before that that I can claim sole credit for because it really is a team effort everything has people working 25 hours a day every day of the week other than Shabbat of course uh, well recovered and, <laughs> uh, and, and really really doing stuff out of passion no one here is here because they get a paycheck at the end of the month. They're here because they believe in what we're doing and believe in what they're doing. But you are frightfully modest. And I would say that there must be something that makes your role not necessarily stand out from the others, but you have, let's be honest, been recognised in the 30 under 30 list for a reason. And therefore, there must be something 
that you have done personally that made you stand out? What do you think that that was? So I think what I bring to this role and what I have enjoyed bringing to other roles is my desire for engagement across the community and also my background. My background is youth leadership and community work and the ZF has exponentially increased the amount of work it does with Jewish and non-Jewish schools, with youth movements. And whilst I'm not the only person doing that, I think that is very much driven by my desire to engage with kind of the future of the Jewish community. It really is exciting. Tell us about the moment that you found out that you had not only made it on the 30 under 30, you've made it to position number one on 30 <laughs> under 30. It's all very embarrassing, I think. <laughs> I mean, all, you do come across things. as a very modest chap, <laughs> but you should just take the credit. <laughs> Look, it's very, I think it is very... I was very honoured to do it. I don't think... I think there were lots of people on that list who I would personally have put above myself. But I was really... I was touched that I was on the list at all, let alone number one and to be number one it was it was very exciting and I actually I found out by the fact that my phone died it went incessantly crazy uh, and then the battery ran out because wonderful phones these days but I think I saw it as an opportunity to stand up for our generation getting these kind of roles I, I part of me really wishes that it wasn't an exciting thing that the Jewish news were doing a 30 under 30 and that everyone on kind of a list of communal leaders was under 30 that would be like that for me would be exciting I think we do a lot of work a lot of very admirable work in our community about women in leadership positions which is absolutely important and there is a huge discrepancy on what there should be and what there is but what we often forget to do is young people in leadership positions and looking around the community today that is starting to change we're starting to see younger people taking more impressive and more bolder steps within our professional and lay lay leadership but i don't think it's enough i don't think i don't think there's enough opportunity given to young people in order to thrive and progress within our community i don't think there's enough passion inspired by the older members of our community the kind of elder statesmen of our community to excite people to work within our community to give of all of their time not just on a weekend but really to to stand and say actually I don't want to go and get a kind of quote-unquote proper job I want I want to I want to make a difference to the community that I've grown up in on the community that I care about and I want to have an impact on it and the best way to do that is by taking a senior professional role rather than going off and working for one of these consultancy firms or whatever it is but really getting involved and I'm a, I'm a big believer that if you don't like something or you do like something either way you need to get involved with that something just saying I don't like it so I'm going to disconnect from it for me isn't the answer the answer is I don't like it so I'm going to increase my connection to it in order to have a major impact. Arie Miller, the executive director of the Zionist Federation, speaking to me there about being number one on the Jewish News' 30 under 30 list for 2017. You are listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News, still to come on this edition. Clive Roslin will be here for our Jewish schmooze. Today, Clive and I will be joined by trustee of Max's Foundation, Louise Roby, and broadcaster John Kay. We'll be discussing, quite simply, Christmas and whether or not it is morally wrong for Jews to be celebrating it. Plus, community editor Diana Toman will be speaking to the outgoing chief executive of Jewish Care, Simon Morris, about his hopes for the future of the organisation. 
But first, I think it's fair to say that we do love a good joke from time to time. And in fact, JW3 recently recognised that as part of their Jewish comedy festival. And within that festival was an award given to one Aaron Simmons, who won the accolade of Jewish Comedian of the Year for 2017. Well, arts editor Kate Fulton has been finding out more for us by speaking to Aaron himself. Erin, well done for winning Jewish Comedian of the Year at JW3. What was the competition like? Thank you very much. Uh, it was a really good standard, actually. There were three other great acts in the final. We had a heat a couple of days beforehand, so it was a really interesting challenge to sort of do five minutes of stand-up two days before you were doing ten minutes of stand-up in a very different room. So it was a really good competition and I'd highly recommend anybody else to give it a go next year. And was this the first time you've ever entered into the competition? It's not the first time I've applied. I applied when I did about five or six gigs three or four years ago and I didn't hear back and rightly so because it was quite poor poor quality material I was doing back then. But since then I just I've forgotten about it every each year and then I made a conscious effort to remember this year and I applied and it went really well. Oh, great. What, what do you think was your was your special thing, if you like? What why, what made you win this year? I don't know. It was. I think I was a little bit more experienced than some of the other candidates this year. I've I've been doing quite well recently and, and I felt quite confident going into the into the final. I also felt that I was choosing my best 10 minutes rather than trying to work out what is good enough to go into this 10 minutes, all that kind of stuff. So I think it was just a little bit more experience and a little bit more material to pick out from rather than try and fill 10 minutes. And who's in the audience? Is it just anybody can go? Anybody can go. There were my parents and my grandma who saw me do comedy for the first time. Clearly cheering loudly. Yeah, I hope so. some, Some of my material is a little bit close to the bone so I didn't look in their direction while saying that bit but apart from that you know most of my stuff is pretty family friendly so that was quite nice for them to see but yeah anyone can come along it's part of the JW3 comedy festival that happens every year and it was just a part of that. Erin I understand that you're disabled in some way how has that made your life more difficult or certainly as a comedian I should say? Yes, I have cerebral palsy and I use a wheelchair. It's an interesting question because I feel that being disabled has actually made comedy easier because from my perspective, you've got something to talk about straight away about being in a wheelchair. People want to hear about it. And also it makes, you know, storytelling a little bit easier because if you get yourself into sort of situations that I tend to get myself into, you can just talk about it. So, for example... I was in the supermarket yesterday and this woman said well done to me after I used a contactless credit card. Oh dear. Oh. And and like that, that I was I was like great that that's just material because as far as I'm concerned it's a lot easier than chip and pin. Like I don't understand what she was congratulating me on. For, but mm. You know, so it it lends itself to certain situations. Certain situational comedy, but then on the other hand, I guess it can make other people feel quite awkward, which I suppose is humour in itself, isn't it? Yes, I mean, that is is part of of some of the material that I do. But I think part of that is it comes from yourself. So I'm very comfortable in the disability. I've been disabled my whole life. I know no 
different and I've always been comfortable about my disability and I think that's just through you know playing disabled sport and having a lot of disabled friends when I was sort of a teenager instead of feeling sort of self-conscious about what makes me different I was quite proud of that because it allowed me to do some really interesting things and so because I've got that confidence and I'm comfortable with my disability I think that comes across to audiences. So do you try and use the humour almost to, to just to normalise disability? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't... One of the things that I find more infuriating than anything else in the world is being patronised, and that's just my point of view. But if well enough known, then hopefully people will stop doing that. Yeah. And were you, were you a funny kid? Not especially as a kid. I remember deciding i know this sounds weird but i remember deciding to be funny at 13 it was just something that i realized that if i was nice and i was funny there would be no reason why people wouldn't like me and so that was a real conscious effort to do that rather than you know if i was really good at sport for example like some people don't like sport but everyone likes someone who is funny we do want to hear i mean other things i want to ask i want to hear one of of your set did you have a winning joke a favorite joke of the in, in the finals not in the final. I don't. I don't tend to have like many joke jokes as More it were. Situational. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's, it's, the the stuff I did in the final was sort of two stories about being patronised in different ways. But my favourite joke joke that I've written is people ask me about being a, a comedian a lot, and so my favourite thing about it is when somebody asks me what I do, I can say the words stand up. What was it? What did it feel like when you won? You won it. So you said your your, your parents or, or grandparents or friends were, were in the audience. Yeah. And and what did it mean to you? It was a bit surreal, really. I mean, I've I've done okay in competitions before, but I've never won it. I actually felt a little bit awkward because I like the spotlight on me when I'm telling jokes and 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 I can. There's a reason for that. But then afterwards, you're just sort of like, great. But I was I was thrilled with it and I was obviously delighted to, to take part and and to, to win it was especially special because because my family were there it was sort of almost more important to them than it was to me I, I was just sort of treating it like a normal gig and they were they were very pumped by it do you have any comedic heroes anybody you want to you'd like to be more like it's an interesting one I there are there are certainly comedians that I love and that I think are absolutely terrific I don't know whether I'd want to be more like them because I think they're quite different to what I do for example James Acaster I think is the funniest person on the planet but I I couldn't do what he does he is phenomenal and he can he can see something so tiny in the world and make a joke about it whereas I can't I need to work off big topics and and go smaller from there where's next for you so I'm going to be doing the Edinburgh Festival again this year. That's uh, summertime. That's the... Is that the summertime? That's in August, yeah. yeah. So that's going to be... I'm not 100% sure of dates yet, but it's going to be around about the 3rd of August to the 26th. So that's going to be the next big thing for me that I'm working towards. And obviously I've got smaller fringes getting ready for that. So I'm going to be doing the Brighton Fringe and the Hastings Fringe just to get ready for Edinburgh. And that's really the big thing. And And then just getting better and better, like, I want this to be the start of my comedy career rather than a highlight. So this is going to be your career. You've you've actually made that decision now. 
It's it's quite a slog, isn't it? I mean, you know, comedians, I went to see Stuart Lee recently. Yeah. I thought he's been going quite a long while to keep writing new material and to have it visually interesting. And it's quite a big, quite a big show. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's hard work, but it's such enjoyable hard work. And, you know, it's certainly something that I've, I've made a decision in my mind. I made a decision sort of two, three years ago that I was going to give it a real good go. And I feel now that I've got the potential in order to do that. Whether I do it forever and ever and ever, who knows? But at the minute, it's certainly my biggest focus. It's the stuff that gives me the most pleasure and the most satisfaction out of doing. And so I'm certainly going to keep trying to make this as successful as it can be. And if I change my mind and I want to do something else, I'll do something else. But luckily, I can't do many other things. So I have to get good at one thing. And that's comedy. Yeah. So, well, if we want to hear more about you, any of our listeners want to hear some of your comedy, and maybe you know don't even want to wait until Edinburgh in next August, how can they? Yeah. How can they find out? How can they hear you? They can either follow me on Twitter or Facebook at Rolling Comedian, as in rolling down a hill, not as in J.K. Rowling. But follow <laughs> her as well; she's funny. But those are the best place to start, either Twitter or Facebook. And I've got a lot of my material on YouTube. So if you search my name, which is Aaron Simmons, I should come up pretty high on on the bat and then you can see some of my stuff there Aaron Simmons the winner of Jewish Comedian of the Year for 2017 speaking to arts editor Kate Fulton there you are listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Still to come, we'll have our Jewish schmooze, as well as our rabbinic thought for the week, which comes from Rabbi Amanda Golby from New North London Mazorti Synagogue. Don't forget, if you would like to get in contact with us, we always love to hear your Jewish views. You can always email studio at jewishviews.co.uk and you can always contact us through social media. If you go to facebook.com forward slash the Jewish Views or on Twitter, we are at Jewish Views UK. Now, it's often on this program towards the end, I'll always say that this program is part recorded at the studios of Jewish Care in London. Well, Jewish Care's chief executive, Simon Morris, has announced he is leaving his position in the near future. So our community editor, Diana Toman, has been finding out more about his time at the charity by speaking to him. Simon, the fact that you'll be leaving your post at Jewish Care next summer is now in the public domain. But I imagine it must have been on your mind for some time. What sparked your decision to let go of the reins? Oh dear, difficult question. There are three things really. One personal is that I have been here at Jewish Care for 22 years, been chief exec, will have been for 15. And I still want to try something else. I know I don't want to be another CEO, but I'd like to still try and do something maybe a bit outside the Jewish community but make a difference secondly I think that organizations need change and I think I've done a reasonable job at Jewish care it's not me it's everyone else but organization needs a different style of leader for the next next period of time and you know I, I didn't want to be here who people said well he's been here too long I wanted to get out when I wanted to get out Leave the stage while they're still clapping. Yeah, I think that's a really nice statement. And, and, you know, I've been overwhelmed by people's reaction. It's been wonderful. And then thirdly, I suppose I wanted a bit of time for me. This is a very full-on job. It's 24-7, 365. And I just need a bit of space for me. It's exhausting and I'm tired. And in that very hackneyed phrase, you'd presumably like to spend more time with your family. 
Yes, whether that feeling is mutual, I'm not sure. No, I, yes, and, and you know, uh, my, I'm very fortunate. My parents are still alive and and spend a bit of time. They're getting older and and needing support, and just also time for me to do some other things. And you know, I've always wanted to volunteer at Frontline on the Citizens Advice Bureau, so I'm hopeful that I might be able to do that. Now, I believe it's common knowledge that in your 20 years tenure, you've turned an organization that was in deficit into one that's thriving. Did that involve any controversial decisions? Oh, quite a number. Yes, indeed. It was, you know, I've been very fortunate to work with a really talented group of colleagues, both at a professional level and at a lay side. And it's only together that we've been able to to make those changes but yes there have been a number which have been controversial i think one of the pleasing things is that we've not stopped doing anything we've reorganized things i think you know we've closed a few homes and and there is no way of that closing a home is a right decision for the people living there and their families and we've had some very difficult meetings when you look back over 20 years give me let's say two of the achievements you're most proud of? I suppose first, at the creation of this, where we're recording this in Golders Green, I think that I had this idea of what I wanted to create and I think what we have created is something better than even I imagined it in terms of its popularity. And within that, the development of independent living, which was I could see 10 years ago was going to be the future of social care. And so that was one thing. And then I think the other thing is about creating an organisation and an environment where people enjoy being part of it. And, you know, one of the things I always said, not only do I want Jewish Care to be the best health and social care organisation in the country, I also want people who work here and work from 69 different backgrounds and cultures and faiths that we create an environment where people of many different faiths and religions come together for the benefit of one faith to show in a fairly hostile world what one can actually do and that we create a workplace where people say it's the best place they've ever worked where we spend a lot of time at work and I want people to be happy at work. Now then all this enthusiasm and dedication to the Jewish community surely it's not going to go to waste after you leave. Can you give us a clue as to where you're going to go next year? Um, no, I, I, I can't because I don't know. As, as I alluded to earlier, I, there's a bit of me that would like to do some voluntary work. And then I just will see what comes. I, you know, Everything I do still has got to make a difference for the positive impact on society. So that will be the guiding philosophy that I use to decide what to do. I've already had a couple of offers. Sadly, none of them paid at the moment, but a couple of offers. And I think it will just be take my time to reflect and think. And have a bit of a holiday? Yes, no, I have got a holiday planned for July when I leave. Uh, something that I've always wanted to do, go across the Atlantic on the Queen Mary and visit presidential libraries, post-war American presidential libraries in, in the United States. <laughs> Outgoing Chief Executive of Jewish Care, Simon Morris, speaking to Community Editor, Diana Toman. You're listening to The Jewish Views, and this is The Jewish Moves, the part of the show where studio guests join me, Clive Roslin, to discuss matters that ordinarily you've been hearing throughout the programme so far. Well, joining Phil Dave and me today are broadcaster John Kay and trustee of Max's foundation, Louise Roby. 
And the subject for this edition is, quite simply, Christmas. The question is, is it morally wrong for Jews to celebrate Christmas as so many tend to do? Let's start with you, Louise. Do you celebrate Christmas? And if so, why? Yes, I do. But that's mainly because we have a multi-faith family. So I was married to a Jewish man. I'm now married to a non-Jewish man. And we have a multi-faith family. So we actually encompass everything. So we do Hanukkah, we do Christmas. And it's actually something we enjoy together and we celebrate all of the faiths as and, one family. And in fact, it's something that uh, most families do, even those that aren't intermarried with other, yes, other faiths. Yes, I, I mean, I, I would say that most of my friends all celebrate Christmas in some way in terms of the day, in terms of actually having a day. I think they see it as a really good excuse to have the family together, to sit down together as a family and to use the opportunity of the time to actually be together. And I know that's really important. In, in all, all of my family. What do you what do? Yeah, you do, I, I think it is a bank holiday, whatever way you look at that, it. Exactly. So people are going to use the opportunity to actually take time to see their family. And if you go to the kosher butchers leading up to Christmas, you will see huge queues outside of people queuing up for turkey. Turkeys, well, in, <laughs> fact, in fact, I knew one, one of the greatest rabbis that ever lived. I won't mention his name, but he was a very important rabbi in this country. And he treated me like a father. And he always had turkey on Christmas Day. Always. Yeah. And, was quite yeah. and I know an Orthodox rabbi who loved walking down the street, looking at Christmas <laughs> decorations and people's trees in the window. I mean, he wasn't going to have any, but the, the decorations, the street lights mm. make it a little bit special. It is a winter type festival. And Really, the, the decorations and even the Christmas tree isn't particularly Christian, ah, it's pagan. Now, there's a question. Do you have decorations in Christmas trees? Now, that's interesting because my partner isn't Jewish and that was difficult because I, I'd never had in previous relationships or indeed as a child, never had any Christmas decorations. And I was a bit reluctant when she suggested having a Christmas tree. But she's not particularly religious anyway. And she sees the tree as a pagan thing. And actually, a tree with lights on it is quite attractive. We don't do any other decorations. We don't have the wreath on the door. But the tree itself... I don't have a problem with. But that's what's so wonderful about this time of year. It is a curious mishmash of all different types of traditions that have all come together. Certainly something that we now see as under the banner of Christmas. But the tree, as you say, very much a pagan thing, not necessarily anything to do with Christianity. The birth of Jesus, obviously, is to do with Christianity. The giving and the receiving of presents or what have you is not necessarily something that's been going on for thousands of years. It's only been more recent than that. And it's all just come together under this banner of Christmas time. So I don't know whether or not I do have a problem per se <laughs> with Jews celebrating Christmas because I believe it's actually a time for everybody of all religions and all faiths to just appreciate the end of another year and to actually celebrate that 
really important family time. I think, I think that's just one thing, though. If you look at, I mean, if I know we go out on Facebook. So if we just talk about Facebook for a minute, I think the funniest thing for me on Facebook right now is everyone putting up the Hanukkah bushes. And they are clearly <laughs> Christmas trees. Yeah. But because they make them in so many fantastic colours, uh, I mean, we have one, but it's black. It's not green. It's black. And, and actually, the rest of our decorations in the house are all lights, just all kinds of lights lit up from the fireplace to the outside tree outside to so I think actually interestingly we just get these Hanukkah bushes appearing but you could argue genuinely Christmas trees you could, you could argue it's an extension of Hanukkah because Hanukkah is a festival of light and of positivity so what's wrong with it well it's all to do with the middle of winter which is why these yeah. these festivals both Hanukkah and Christmas but I must say that as far as the Christmas tree goes I am very anti-Christmas tree but I think I know why I had a mother-in-law who believed that Judaism, her daughter had to marry a Jew, but she never went to synagogue. She never did anything on the Jewish religion at all. She didn't <coughs> fast. She was a very strange lady. And she <laughs> t- told her children, for example, that they shouldn't really fast on the Day of Atonement. It's not really very good for them. Mm. And yet she always built a Christmas tree covered in lights and goodness knows what. And Christmas was terribly important to her. And I felt that was utterly, totally wrong. And I still have this slightly, I, w- I won't have, a, not that I would have, <coughs> but I, wo- I just couldn't have a Christmas tree. But is that because of your association with your late mother-in-law as opposed to anything else? It's partly to do with her, but it's also, I suppose, because I was the grandson of a rabbi and, you know, you just don't put up. It's not Christian. I agree with Mm -hmm. what you said, but with Christian stand-ups. Okay, so how do you feel about when you walk down the street and you see Christmas trees all over the place, how do you feel about them? I don't mind that at all. It's nothing to do with me. But I'm and what I mean about, is that I'm you don't necessarily mind personally. the actual tree. It's just in your own home. It's in my own home. Yeah. No, I can understand. People draw their own lines, <laughs> don't they? I mean, I lit Hanukkah candles most nights during the course of Hanukkah, and the tree recently went up. It doesn't dilute my Judaism because you know, I'm involved with my local synagogue. I'm on their board of management. You know, I go fairly regularly. So that doesn't affect me. And then... You know, the, the tree is gone and in the loft and uh, it doesn't appear again for another 12 months. <laughs> exactly. exactly uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that from my point of view, it was because of the way, in my mind, the, the things that happened have made me anti-trees. But it's not because... I, I feel that you're wrong in having trees at all. No, I, th- I, th- I can quite understand, because up, up until a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have had a tree either. Oh, really? I yeah. would have felt very uncomfortable having a tree. And and I got the tree, but as I say, no other decorations. But in terms of that, you mentioned about the Hanukkah bush, I think that's a bit of a cop-out. I think that's an American thing. <laughs> and we've promoted Hanukkah to a major festival, which has never been yes, a major festival. Yes, no, I festival. agree with you. It wasn't. No. It wasn't a major festival. Not it's only that it's, it, become... it's, it's at the similar time to Christmas that Absolutely. we've actually made it a major festival. How do we feel about the other elements of Christmas time, though, such as the giving and the receiving of presents, or, well, or more importantly, the family time? That it's never spend? bad to give and receive presents. I mean, and and it's a time when people give presents. It's a midwinter festival, which in fact was run for years before Jesus was even born. I mean, yeah. people in the world have always celebrated. 
the beginning of, if you like, the end of winter in that you've passed the shortest day. And it's, it's a celebration that we're going to see the sun again. I think that's the real reason, because Jesus was actually born in, I think it's May. Was he? Yes. Good Lord. Now, I don't know who told me that, but somebody told me that once. <laughs> I think that the, the, the present giving is bonkers, to be honest with you. I, I, I mean, well, humbug. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I went to a bat mitzvah the other last weekend, and I'm driving down the M1 and get to the bottom, and the queues for Brent Cross Shopping Centre was just <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. By all means, I think like Hanukkah, where you give like token presents, that's fine. I think people go mad yeah, and, and spend an awful awful lot of money that they probably haven't got in the first place and I just think it's over the top I think it's a terrible pressure I'm I'm actually a Scrooge in every way I I don't like Christmas and I don't like it because people are buying going to shops and buying things and there's hundreds of people in Oxford Street, and it's, I yeah. think it's dreadful. And often buying things that they probably wouldn't buy oh, during the course exactly. of the year exactly. and, and may even throw out in January or February. But think of it from an economy point of view. If you can imagine sort of how much business is generated by Christmas time, if that suddenly stopped, what do you think would be the ramifications on our high streets? I, I agree with you. Like I, think, I think it's really good for the economy. I think just before Christmas, the, the high streets were doing extremely well. I think equally as well as their Black Friday in yes, November. Yeah, yeah. So I think from that point of view, and in a way, if the shops do well, and I, I quite, I still like shopping and I'm not a great fan of online shopping. So to see the shops and the high streets do well, because I don't want to see our, our high streets devastated with empty shops I, I think I think, actually, that's I think it's thing. the whole buzz isn't it the lights the whole I know going up walking past Carnaby Street the other day I don't know if oh, it was amazing wasn't it and the lights are oh, spectacular it's fantastic this year. everyone else to shame but you know just walking through and just having that feeling that it's a festive time that it's a time to be nice to each other I mean we haven't really spoken about you know all the charities and other things and I you know, obviously would say that running a charity but that's not my point my point is that what I'm noticing is a lot of people talking about the homeless talking about other opportunities uh, to raise issues that people should really take heed on and actually in teaching our children about what what will aside from what they'll get what will they mm. give and what do they want to do so actually I think it's you know one of the other nice things about it is actually the lessons that it brings and the fact that you can go and help in a homeless charity for a day or you can go to, to an old age home somewhere and go and cheer someone up or I, ju- I just think that I know we're talking about it from an economical point of view and, and what we buy but I think it's also an opportunity to really sit as a family and sit as a, a bunch of people really just looking at what's going on and reflecting. Um, Actually what you're saying is quite interesting <clears throat> because there are many Jewish people who don't celebrate in quotes Christmas and and they often go on Christmas Day yes. and mm. work for charities and work for the homeless and do things like that and wash up and cook the food and do all that sort of thing, which I think yeah. is marvellous. I'm doing yeah. that myself in, in Ware, where I'm helping to serve food to people who are on their own. They're coming to a community centre. Where are you doing that? In Ware, in East Hertfordshire. And they cook 100 meals, and they're really terrific meals. And it'll take three hours out of my day, but it's, it's not my holiday. I'm quite happy to do that. Yeah. And I think that that's what's so nice about Christmas, and that is why I personally believe, and I'm not necessarily encouraged to have an opinion on this program, but I'll give it in this instance, <laughs> is that 
it's nice that it does actually encourage good behavior goodwill to all men and it really is all men and women obviously you know what i mean it is to all people that is the festive meaning behind it is that it ultimately brings out the best in humanity and that's what i personally really like about the time of year and do you spend lots of money that you shouldn't perhaps spend on buying presents and things grief no i'm far too stingy for that no 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 (laughs) what i do is that i enjoy spending the time with the family which bizarrely enough it doesn't really happen as much as some people would like to think it might automatically happen you know family time is a very limited occasion now because especially since a lot of people now live abroad i mean clive i know that you know this only too well from your family living abroad it's not the same as a quick call on Skype or FaceTime or whatever other video chat service you choose to use. It's just not the same as being in person and spending time with those who we do care about. It unfortunately also means that you can spend a bit of time with those you couldn't care less about, but we don't look into that. So. It's well, that's right. Families can be uh, often have difficult uh, relationships but you're right and and although actually the the modern technology i've got a son who's currently and will be over the christmas period in taiwan so i won't be able to to see him but at least we can have contact much easier than it would have been years ago when you had to write a letter to somebody so at least he can keep in touch with whatsapp or any other mm. um, facetime or something like that now what about christmas carols do you sing those? Do you enjoy them? I love carols. I think I think they're good tunes. I, I tend to, if occasionally I go to a church service, I find a lot of their hymns very, very samey. Yeah. But the Christmas carols, I think, are varied, and I, I I'm, yeah, I enjoy them. Louise, like, do you yeah. go in for carols? I have been to a few services over the years. I didn't this year, but I didn't go to a Jewish school growing up. So I, I think I went to the only non-Jewish Jewish school in North London, actually. I think we were 85% Jewish there. But we all sat and sung Christmas carols, and actually we know them all. And my daughter's done the same in primary. She went to the same primary school as me and then went on to a faith school. But, you know, she knows both sides, actually. And I think what's really interesting, because she's now working in a faith school as a trainee assistant teacher, and she's now coming home singing all the Hanukkah songs that we didn't (laughs) know because we sang all the Christmas carols. So actually, this year has been a very interesting journey at home as she starts to teach me again. I'm sure I knew them when I was younger. but I only know two Hanukkah songs. (laughs) and it's usually just the first verse yeah. 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 I didn't know there were other verses <laughs> but I remember though when I was at school as well which was also not a, a faith school that I remember being absolutely devastated when my classmate who wasn't Jewish I think he was Christian told me well you can't celebrate Christmas what do you mean we always mark Christmas in our house what do you mean I can't mark and I was really upset and I went home to tell my parents this and they said no absolutely right we're not supposed to we do it because we recognize that we are in a predominantly Christian country and that there is a big fuss made of it at this time of year but no it's not necessarily a Jewish tradition as such but it's never stopped us yet yes yes. our time is up so we have to leave it so all I can say is good Yom Tov Happy Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. Christmas. And, 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 and we, we get the presents later, do we? Yeah. Later. Absolutely. <laughs> and my thanks to our guest, broadcaster John Kay and trustee of Max's Foundation, Louise Roby. Please do feel free to share your Jewish views with us. And you can email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or you can contact us via social media. 
Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash the Jewish Views or on Twitter, we are at Jewish Views UK. And of course, those details can be found on our website, jewishviews.co.uk. Time now for our rabbinic thought for the week. And this time it comes from Rabbi Amanda Golby from New North London, Masorti Synagogue. On the last day of Hanukkah, I had the privilege of joining the children of Akiva School for candle lighting. I was particularly moved by the reflections presented by Year 6. The children spoke of the necessity of hope and looked forward to such things as a cure for all cancers met come in their lifetime. Hanukkah is complex, as we think of the original military story and then its more spiritual message, but certainly hope and light are important themes. And, as I said to them, though we might feel a sense of sadness in lighting the candles for the last time this year, their message can actually remain with us throughout the year. We may not all become doctors and scientists, we may not all achieve great things, but in little ways we can all try to be kind, to be our best, to give hope and bring light to the world. And I also think of our Torah portion for the Shabbat, which this year, as so often, follows Hanukkah, Vayigash. Each year I am moved when we hear of Joseph revealing his true identity to his brothers. Now do not be distressed or reproach yourselves because you sold me. It was to save life that God sent me ahead of you. This is difficult. When do we have free will? When are our actions predetermined? I think of the words of the late Rabbi Dr. Georg Salzberger, who came to England as a refugee from Nazi Germany. He asked, Do we not all make the experience that the most precious possessions we call our own must be gained and earned by fight and suffering and pain? We should not know how to estimate their true value if they fell into our lap without effort. Health is appreciated only by he who has passed through illness, freedom only by she who has seen oppression. We do not know whether what we call an evil fate will not later prove to be good fortune. It is this deep religious thought with which Joseph consoled his brothers. You indeed thought to do evil to me, but God has thought it for good. We have just finished our festival of light. The country is marking the Christmas holiday. Hopefully there are good times, and yet we know they are hard for many for a variety of reasons. May we remember the message of the Hanukkah lights, the other lights we see around us, and remember how people have tried to transcend evil of different sorts and to find the light, the hope, the good. Just listening to Rabbi Amanda Golby there from New North London Resorty Synagogue does make you recognise that there is something quite sad about the end of Hanukkah, but it doesn't necessarily have to be so because that message of positivity and of hope can absolutely carry on in everything that we do. And it's quite nice to have Hanukkah, dare I say, ground us perhaps and remind us that actually a bit of positive thinking once in a while really does us the world of good. Anyway, thank you very much to Rabbi Amanda Golby there with our thought for the week. And that's all the Jewish views we have time for. Thanks very much to our guests, Arie Miller, Executive Director of the Zionist Federation. Thank you to Jewish Comedian of the Year, Aaron Simmons. Also to outgoing Chief Executive of Jewish Care, Simon Morris. Thank you goes to our other contributors and, of course, to you at home for listening. And we mustn't forget the team, including our producers, Tony Honickberg, Sue Greenberg and Harley Baptiste. 
You can always listen to the most recent edition of The Jewish Views by visiting our website, jewishviews.co.uk, where you'll also find the facility to listen to all previous episodes as well. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News. I'm Phil Dave. Do make sure you join us next time here on The Jewish Views. Goodbye.